You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm excited to be here in another episode of Item 13 with the guest for this week, Dr. Juanita Lewis, who is the founder and CEO of Crescendo Foods in Ghana. Crescendo Foods is West Africa's first shared commercial kitchen and co-working hub located in Accra. She has over 10 years of experience leading initi- initiatives and strategic partnerships throughout the African continent. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know this. I will talk about that. <laughs> um, and comes to Accra from North Carolina with um, both a, a bachelor's degree and master's degree in chemistry. A lot of chemistry, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, so actually, I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, so, oh yeah, so I'm a North, but I lived in North Carolina for 13 years for for school, and I did all my degrees there. So, oh, fun. Okay, yeah, I, I, yeah, I assumed you were you were a North Carolina native. Oh, cool. Um, Jersey, Jersey is my spot. I used to when I lived in New York. Um, a lot of people I knew lived in in Jersey, so Jersey City, um, Hoboken. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually south, like very south. Um, I was born in Philly, raised in South Jersey. Um, oh, okay. So Camden and Glassboro. And oh yeah. Latter part. Yeah, and then I actually went to school in Philly for a little bit um, growing up, and then did the rest of my like elementary, middle school, high school in in Jersey. So it's funny, my um, slang is always definitely more Philly than it is Jersey and uh for for sure so a lot of people always say oh no you're from Philly I'm like yeah I mean kind of yeah <laughs> basically we're just the suburbs of Philadelphia so <laughs> <laughs> nice well then I'm sorry for um your Super Bowl loss I should say <laughs> <laughs> you know I was like you know what mm. Do people, are people ready? Because like Philadelphia, like Philly fans are truly fanatics. Like, yeah, yeah. Insane. <laughs> I mean, but it's always interesting to see. Yeah. Love, love for the teams. If it's not, the, <laughs> it's not the Eagles, it's the Flyers. If it's not the Flyers and you're talking about the baseball team, the Phillies. Yeah. So it, 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 it does not matter. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I remember going to, um, for the Super Bowl, I was at a house party, and um, and because I live in the D.C. area, so we're all supporting, because, you know, East Coast, so we're supporting mm-hmm. Philly, um, and I was just there for the the halftime show, but um, to see people, like, super into um, the game, and, yeah, it was kind of disappointing, I guess, for... Yeah, there. definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, I had a friend who traveled with me actually from North Carolina. This is when I was, you know, I was in grad school and uh, they were wearing a, a Carolina Panthers hat and we landed in Philly. And I said to them, you know, don't wear that hat. You're going to play. Oh, I'll be fine. And uh, as soon as we were getting off the plane, we stood up, somebody said to them, you're wearing the wrong hat in the wrong city. It was like, whoa. And I was like, I told you. Philly people do not play about their teams. <laughs> they are very serious about their teams. Very serious. Um, yeah, that's fun. Um, and sorry for the digression, folks. I just thought uh, that was that was interesting. I uh, did not know you had some Philly, uh, Philly connection there. Um, so... From the states, you know, East Coast. We talked about you, you know, studying in North Carolina, living and studying in North Carolina for a while. How did you end up in Accra before Accra became the hotspot that it is? Right, 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 right. So, um, actually, when I left, I graduated with my PhD in 2013, and then I moved to Minnesota. I lived in Minneapolis for three and a half years. I worked okay. at General Mills, so that um, I worked oh, on. Yeah, I was in baked good baked goods. Um, I was a product developer 
for a couple of years, but realized I wanted to get into policy. And then I ended up moving to uh, the DMV area because I had a fellowship um, to work at the, at the Department of State. And even before that, I had a fellowship to be in Europe for about a month. So I did that before I left Minnesota, then went to DC um, and did, worked at the State Department for two years under this fellowship. And then another two um, as a senior economic program officer. But when I first arrived, I worked on women in agriculture and then, you know, worked. So I worked in the agricultural policy. And I'll even back up that even though my bachelor's and my master's are in chemistry, my PhD is actually in food science. Oh, and so, okay. and my and my dissertation work was on peanut skins. So it's the red thin paper layer. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was looking at the uh, anti inflammatory properties of, the, of those compounds that were in the skins. And so when I moved to DC, I worked on ag policy and I specifically wanted an experience through this fellowship with just AAAS as the American, the American Advancement or American Association for the Advancement of Science. And it's specifically for PhD uh, or PhD, MD, PhD, veterinarian or, or JD uh, scientists who work in the executive branch, or you could work for a Congress, uh, Congress member. And I decided to do the executive branch. So I wanted to travel just a lot. You know, I have been in school for 13 years. I had traveled a couple times, you know, in school. Now, as far as just for leisure, definitely traveling. I've been traveling internationally since I was in high school with my family. And I wanted something different, right? So State Department, they're an international organization. They're outward facing. So I traveled like several months out of the year. And I we had this... Um, uh, principal, which is what there, you know, it's like the executive leadership of your office or bureau, who said, if you have new ideas, write a proposal and, and put it in front of her at the time. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to write, I wrote this concept note about connecting women in uh, agriculture, because we, my office covered bio, one of the things we covered was biotechnology. And I was, you know, talking about GMOs and, you know, how the importance of having scientists in these conversations to make policy decisions, but definitely when it comes to women, because there's a lot of women who are in these spaces. May, you know, they may not have PhDs, but they may have master's, undergrad degrees, yeah. and they're never, they only see their, their research stop at the lab. They never see it being connected to anything else. And so my boss at the time said, well, you know, what do you want to do? You know, I said, oh, I want to have these workshops, I was proposing these one day workshops of gathering women together. And I proposed uh, South Central Asia. And that was because that was oh. the portfolio I worked on. Oh, okay. And it didn't work out. And she had said to me, well, you know, have you thought about like the continent? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, and then I thought it was weird because I was like, oh, she's not melanated. She's off telling me this. And I thought that was strange at the time. But she was like, you know, because think about they just a lot of countries have been passing these biotechnology laws, mm -hmm. you know, so I started doing research and I came across this organization called AWARD, which is African Women in uh, Agriculture Research and Development. And it started and it's actually based in Kenya, but they have chapters all over the continent for mm -hmm. women who are getting, uh, you know, undergrad to terminal degrees um, in, in agriculture. And I said, I would love to work with them. So I sent this call out to um, everyone, you know, all the embassies that were in on the continent in Africa. And I think I got like two or three responses. <laughs> okay. And it was so strange because I was like, what? And like, you didn't have to really pay for anything, maybe just food for your, for the people who yeah. attended. So I ended up flying to Ethiopia oh. and we had this conference, this one day conference. And the next stop was Ghana. And that was 2017. So I was in Ghana for a week and a half. And it's funny because I do have a connection to Ghana. I'm not Ghanaian, but my father's cousin's husband is Ghanaian. Oh. So I've always known about Ghana kind of in the mm -hmm. background through yeah. him. Now we didn't grow, I didn't grow up with them because they lived in North Carolina. I lived in New Jersey. But when I lived in North Carolina, when I got to graduate school, I would see them more often. He was a professor at North Carolina AT. He just retired recently. 
and, you know, really kind of got into more of the culture of West Africa from going to an HBCU because mm, yeah. a lot of my friends were either from Ghana or they're from Nigeria. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, um, and definitely Caribbean and my part of my family is from the Caribbean. And so, you know, it's kind of like a full circle thing. So I went in 2017 and was there for a week and a half doing this, this phenomenal conference. We got a lot of really good press from it. And the lady I worked with, and actually the guy I worked with who's now since moved on, had said to me, would you like to uh, do, would you like to work in Ghana for a couple months? I said, okay. I mean, I don't have nothing to do. So, <laughs> I mean, I did. I definitely had work to do. And so I moved to Ghana in June of 2018. And I was there until about September. And it was a different lifestyle because one, you know, when you come here, you come, I was, as a, I was a diplomat. So had housing available. Mm -hmm. My job was across the street because <laughs> I lived behind yeah. the embassy. Yeah. Um, and it was great. So since then I had started going, coming back and forth because of the work that I did. Or if I knew I was flying to another side of the continent, I would just stop in Ghana because it made life easier. I could see friends that I've made that I knew that worked at the embassy. And then I also traveled to other African countries. So whether it was for work, I went to Cote d'Ivoire, I went to Togo. Um, I traveled for to Morocco at one point. So another part, I had been to South Africa when I lived here, you know, the first time in 2018. And then just for leisure, I did the Southern part of Africa, just for, I started South Africa and a couple of, Girlfriends and I did Botswana and Mozambique. So I definitely have been getting myself immersed yeah. into new cultures. Like you've seen more yeah. of the Yeah, I've seen them. Right, right. And I can definitely say which ones I appreciate going to, which ones I'm like, you know what? <laughs> One time was good enough for me. Um, so, and then when it came to deciding to move, I always wanted to live outside the US. It's just a mm -hmm. matter of where. And I said to myself, I need to be in a place where there's a stable economy. Um, you know, everybody says, oh, it has to be safe. I mean, no place is actually safe, right? Yeah. So let's be very, very, very uh, real about that. But also, can, it, my, can I get to, can I get home quickly? And at the time, South Africa Airlines was flying direct to, mm -hmm. D, to D. 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 DC. Yeah. So it was easy for like my family, who's, my parents are still in New Jersey. They could just drive or take the train and now they're retired. They can do whatever they want and fly to DC. I mean, fly to Ghana. And it doesn't take much to get a visa. It is so funny because my parents are planning their first visit here um, since I've lived to move back here in 2020. And my dad was asking me, you know, oh, you know how, you know, can you run down the visa process for us? And Yorma had to laugh because I said, I don't know the visa process. They're like, what? And I was like, every time I traveled to Ghana, it was for the State Department. I had yeah. never, I, I never filled out a, a, a visa, not a real visa application. So I was like, I don't know what it consists of so they had to ask like one of my sorority sisters <laughs> like how do you how do you know what do you visa on arrival like i wouldn't even know too because i've never obviously never had to um right know, to, to right work. so i've always had a visa through work or something and then yeah. you know yeah when i like i still had my visa after my you know my personal passports mm -hmm. i just came and then like i can i can give you the rundown on how to get work permits <laughs> But as far as the visa, uh, that's that's out of my peripheral. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I've been, I you know, so for me, it's it's been a, a good journey. But definitely, I mean, I moved, you know, I started moving my stuff over in 2019. Before you know, everybody tries, you know, there's nothing wrong with coming as a result of the year of return. But it always <laughs> makes me chuckle when people are like, oh, you know, you won this year of return. Yeah. I'm like. No, I don't think so. I mean, it just happened. I moved in January and we were locked down in April. So it's just... Yeah, I was going to say, like, 2020, that, that's how... But yeah. I feel like, eventually, I don't feel... I don't think, at least from my observation here, looking at what people were doing in Accra, that it wasn't... I mean, I think in the beginning, it was pretty locked down. But then eventually, um, not as closed off as it was at least here in, in well it was also a state-by-state state thing so at the time I was living in Seattle and Seattle was pretty locked down so mm -hmm. I had yeah. more from watching people start to go out in Ghana and um 
do all sorts of things when when we could we could barely barely move yeah right yeah we were locked down for maybe for about a month maybe five weeks um which is wild to me yes yeah my sister lives in seattle so i or outside of seattle so I'll, i remember you know her talking about that and then i have a, a friend who had just moved back to seattle and they were talking you know telling me about the lockdown and i was like wow that's, yeah. that's crazy that's crazy so you know here i mean i'll definitely say this our lock like lockdown you know, I give Ghana, you know, credit for <laughs> if you were not out where you were supposed to be, you would you were dealing with the military. And they were wow. not playing. Like <laughs> they were not playing yeah. games. Like, why are you out? So I mean, I used to uh go out in the morning to the grocery store. I would go out and actually it's funny because I knew people we were gonna probably eventually lock down. So I actually started grocery shopping months before oh wow the official lockdown so i had you know i wasn't like hoarding anything it's not like i had 15 like <laughs> packs of toilet tissue <laughs> but but I, but I was also just settling in yeah. right because i had just moved i actually just moved into my apartment in february so i finally found an apartment i was working in medina at the time which is you know about yeah. 25 minutes 30 minutes from the airport and so I needed to just have stuff with me and, you know, I got water, everything I needed to get. And it's so funny, all the um, furniture I needed to have at the time, I got it right before the lockdown. Oh, wow. And so I was, I was fine during the lockdown. I had, I had a TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, had a, I had my TV, I had a Wi-Fi thing, you know, I was, I was pretty much good to go. And I rarely, you know, I I only if I went out, it was like in the middle of the week on a mm-hmm. Wednesday. I went right when everybody opened because I knew no one was going to be there. Everybody would come like after, you know, late morning. And you, you know, you didn't know what was going on, even with the mask, you know, wait, this is, you know, of course, obviously this is way before a vaccine was yeah. <laughs> even conceived. And I must say that I did not catch COVID, thankfully you know, have it, period, but just, I did, I made sure to be very safe. And I was listening to my friends and family in the States and what their precautions were. Yeah. And so I literally was just, you know, in my house, if I, and before we even locked down, cause something, I, cause you know, you hear rumblings and I still had connections, you know, as far as friends who were still working at the U.S. Embassy and something told me, you know, go to ECG, you know, the electric, the electricity company. Yeah. And prepay when you yeah, yeah. prepay, it's like you. So you won't have any issues. And uh, yeah, we didn't have any lights out during that time. I had enough food. I cooked a lot. You know, yeah. I think everybody cooked a lot that year. Um, you know, worked out, did my yoga, and I had no complaints during the <laughs> lockdown. I mean, it was it was you know, of course, I wasn't in my family, but. Um, even, you know, a lot of my, a lot of people like me, they left, you know, everybody left Accra mm. uh, because of COVID because they're like, oh, we don't know what, you know, we don't know if they're going to be able to handle this. And I had a conversation with my parents. My dad said to me, you know, you need to stay in Accra. I'm, I feel like you'll be much better there than you are here. My dad has worked in healthcare, you know, he worked um, in healthcare for like 30 years. So he already knew what was up. It's like, yeah, <laughs> Like I, I also just remember thinking and feeling like I wasn't even that concerned when like lockdown rules were being loosened or whatever in in Accra or in Ghana because one I think we just have experience with public health crises you know for better or for worse and obviously I wasn't there so I can't speak to like people's uh, compliance with rules but I. I just and and I have family that works in healthcare in Ghana too, so I just felt like the combination of you know unfortunately being used to public health crises and um, just Ghanaian's demeanor in terms of um, following uh, authority, you know, where mm-hmm. there's a lot of pushback with masks. Where I mean, we're going back to ah man, I'm having flashbacks of 2020, but yeah. So, <laughs> I feel like I would have felt a little bit more uh, comfortable in Accra. 
But um, so let's talk about food. So how do you go from, you know, doing all of this policy work, State Department, deciding to move to Accra? How do you get into this, um, specifically into the food space? And like, what's the insight that makes you think, oh, um, this shared um, food space, commercial kitchen makes sense for the food ecosystem in, in Accra? Sure. So for me, I felt, um, you know, I mean, I think from traveling back and forth, it it I, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. I mm-hmm. also um, had the op- had the opportunity to talk to women who were in ag when I was at the State Department, mm-hmm. and I did that. We used to have these programs called International Visitors Something Program. And they would have either have like all women or just like all ag people from different parts of the world. And I would hear the same thing. Like I am a fill in the blank, you know, owner of this ag company and I don't have a space to scale up. And I thought to myself, huh, this is before I moved to Ghana the first time, you know, I wonder what that would look like. And I went and I met so many entrepreneurs and you know, the whole concept of maker spaces hadn't reached right. Ghana yet. Mm-hmm. Or if it did, it was very, you know, very hush-hush. It was kind of exclusive to certain people. And so, you know, I thought about the concept of a maker space in 2015 when I went to Amsterdam. And I saw this restaurant that had, they posted their menu for the week and you just came and picked it up. So it was kind of like a mock cloud kitchen. Yeah. And I said, you know, this would be cool to have in the States and more so for black and brown people. Yeah. And when I got to it and then as I'm, per, you know, going through life, I realized, you know what? I, I like living in Ghana the first time. If I ever had the opportunity to go back, maybe I would start something like this. Mm. And, you know, and I was already in the, I've been in the food, you know, space, you know, not, you know, policy for product development to doing research for several years, right. That started back in, you know, I, my first introduction was to food science was actually 2001. So it's been 23 years Wow, since I've been in this space. And so when I came here, you know, I was trying to, you know, the lockdown had, a, well, I was here and I was working for a nonprofit and then I, you know, decided to move on and the lockdown occurred. And then I was like, oh, I don't really want to go back. And so a friend of mine said, well, why don't you start the incubator idea that yeah. you've always talked about? And I said, oh, you know what? Let me see. Now, this is before real estate was as crazy (laughs) as it is now. But I wanted to take the time, you know, I think also as women, especially as Black women, we have so many things that's put on us. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you know, people don't really think it's a good idea unless like a a man does it. Then all of a sudden, and it usually is like a half brain ideas not even thought out meticulously and so I planned it for well over a year you know I, I did my first uh foodpreneur boot camp I'm in 2021 in March okay. and I said my goal was to have and that was in Accra that was in Accra yes and it was at iSpace uh my oh, first okay. yeah, yeah yeah my first uh my goal was to have at least five people attend <laughs> oh wow <laughs> at least five you know that's, and a I reasonable, I got, that's a reasonable goal yeah it was reasonable it was reasonable and I end up having 10 I think it was like 10 people and we talked about how to start a business in Ghana and we actually had a mixture of people it was folks from across the diaspora we had a Ghanaian, two Ghanaian Brits who one already had an established business and was trying to figure it out. Somebody else was trying to get into exporting. And the lineup of speakers, you know, included myself, but also we talked about safety. We talked about supplier engagement. So I had Ghanaians, Ghanaians across the diaspora, you know, uh, a couple Europeans who were in the space as well. And it was great. And so that let me know that, okay, this is needed. So I, I even pitched the concept of what Crescendo Foods was at that, what, is, what it was going to be at the time. And that was just literally, uh, I was thinking about getting a container with uh, kitchen equipment and calling it a day. <laughs> and people loved the idea. So people kept asking me like, yeah. throughout the year, hey, when are you going to you know get a space? And I was like, well, I, 
real estate is expensive. So I finally <laughs> bit the bullet. And uh, in 2022, I finally settled, I would settled because it sounds bad, but I finally found a place that I was happy with. Mm-hmm. And I live in West Lagon. This place is West is in West Lagon. And I, mm-hmm. you know, as I said before, when I was at the embassy, I loved it because I could walk to work. Right. And this is literally a three-minute drive from my house. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's great. So we found this three-bedroom house in this residential area. Um, it's one floor, it's got windows everywhere. So you can actually look into the kitchen. And it has a big kitchen. If most people are familiar with the kitchens in Ghana, they're pretty small. Yeah. And this pit kitchen was big, was big and pretty wide. We had three extra bedrooms. So started putting, you know, work with a, a, a firm to, you know, to see what I wanted it to look like. And I already had an idea as far as what I wanted it to be laid out as, right? I was like, oh, we could just make all the rooms into kitchens. But then I thought, well, wait, where am I going to sit? <laughs> where's, my, <laughs> where's my team going to sit? If I'm a food business person, you know, if I'm a food yeah. owner, business owner, where can I change my clothes? Where can I put my shoes? Right. What do I need to do in order not to have contamination? So I'm really using all that knowledge of me being in the food industry for the last 20 some years and applying it here. And what, and then it just, the, the idea evolved. So now we literally are an area where you can co-work, you know, and there aren't any co-working spaces on this side of the crop. Um, and what's like gone that is. Yeah. So we're uh, also doing this well. No, that's great. I, I think this is a good time to take a break. Um, and then when we come back, I, re- I really want to delve into, just because for those who may not be as familiar, delve into the specifics of what the business is, right? In terms of like what you offer, you've started to allude to that a little bit in terms of the co-working and the kitchen. I just want to dive a little bit into what, like if I was a food entrepreneur in Accra, like what does that mean for me in terms of having access to that kitchen um, and or co-working spaces? What programming events do you offer? That sort of thing. Um, So we'll take a quick break and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So I wanted to take a step back and start with one, why you called it Crescendo Foods. I'm just always curious where people come up with names for their their um, businesses or enterprises. Um, so actually, it's a it's an ode to my uh, upbringing. So my mother and her family are, you know, most of them are music educators. Oh. Um, I also learned how to play an instrument, a couple instruments growing up. And um, I was on a music scholarship when I went to St. Augustine's uh, University. And so, you know, as a result of that, you learn, you know, music theory, the music terms and crescendo mm-hmm. means to gradually in- increase and yeah. then, you know, gradually get louder. Yeah. And, and my dad, you know, even so my dad is was, was a DJ in college. So, wow. you know, it's, <laughs> he makes some really bomb mixes. So, um, as a result of that, when I was thinking about what would be a, a, a great name and the, you know, the term crescendo just came to me and, uh, you know, it was, it, 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 it fit. It means to be yeah. helping people worth actually literally helping people gradually, gradually increase either their market presence, their production, mm-hmm. um, or even speed up their, their idea so they can get to market, you know, or just 
even to start. So, you know, I felt like it was very, it was fitting. And with our logo, it's a house, right? And we have utensils. And that's, we are, we are, it's funny because I, when I created, you know, worked with the graphic designer, I wasn't even thinking about a house at the time. And it just happened to be that, you know, man, I have to show you how manifestation works. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we are in a house where we do all types of things and with food. You know, our mission is that we are creating a pan-African food ecosystem where we're supporting businesses, food founders, and the people in between, which are the people who just love to eat. <laughs> and we, you know, we do that by, yeah, we do that by offering um, kitchen space that people can rent out. Mm-hmm. You know, we also offer technical assistance in the form of, you know, problem solving, consulting, and we also offer support. So our we are really about food service because a lot of the times you see people always focused on farmers and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but they never focus on the, the finished product, right? So we're looking at the the chefs, we're looking at the restaurants, we're looking at the, the ready to eat folks, the caterers. Uh, we are here to build community and we're also about incubation, which is all fueled by innovation. So yeah. we're literally feeding feeding people's innovation, which is our tag, tagline is feeding your innovation. Oh, that's cool. I like that. I love that. And I love the, I didn't, I didn't know the backstory behind the name and I'm now I'm glad I asked. I love that um, idea. And, and you and I are going to talk offline about how I look at the space, but it, it resonates with me in that it feels like that, right? It's just that gradual. Um, and I've been doing this now for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Oh, wow. I remember when I started, it wasn't, I mean, now West African food is popular, you know, popular, right, like, right. Me out to have conversations where before I was like pulling teeth and just people didn't understand why this was important. Um, and I started out doing more um, events and to your point, like te- technical assistance from a business perspective, because I have a business background. So we mm-hmm. would do would host food business pitch competitions and just spaces for, for, for food business owners to understand like the business aspect of the uh, creative food <laughs> uh, outlet, right? And so being able to marry both of that and then accidentally ended up in the podcast space because um, it just came up that our stories weren't being told and that, again, <laughs> if those who've been listening and have been with me for a while know all of that story, I just, it just popped into my head this idea of crescendo and how that like over time it truly has sort of gained its own momentum um slowly but surely and gotten louder in that sense um so that definitely resonates um so I'm curious from a and again because Accra is becoming a a destination not just for tourism but then also as folks from especially from the U.S., um, I'm thinking about, you know, reconnecting with the continent, potentially investing, uh, starting businesses. I'm curious, like, from a business perspective, like, one, how you how you think about sourcing clients for this, um, and just also, because I know when I looked into commercial kitchens, um, whether it was for hosting events or just for supporting, you know, some of my friends in the food space, at least in the U.S., um, it can get pretty pricey, and so right. just, um, in the con- in you know in the context of Accra, what that's like in terms of people's expectations for access to kitchen and and um, your rates, and then mm-hmm. um, yeah, how you how you, you you get people through this space and share that value proposition. Um, yeah, maybe let's start there. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, that's a great question. I think a lot of the times. You know, every every target audience is, is interesting. Um, you have folks who assume that, you know, your space is basically going to be free. And you're like, no, um, <laughs> we, you know, we are a, we are a nonprofit. So that's first and foremost. So we, you know, that everybody's like, oh, if you're a nonprofit, you're not making any money. I'm like, Ikea is a nonprofit. So is the <laughs> So was the NFL. Like, I'm just like, come on. But, you know, also making it very realistic. Um, as well. So how we, you know, our biggest expense 
um, is the equipment. And I, I mean, I've been very fortunate to find equipment on sale. Mm -hmm. um, so that helps with costs. And then when it comes to our um, prep tables and all this other stuff, mm -hmm. I, everything's made locally. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes. So nothing was imported, um, you know, and, and then I also did my research, like cutting down costs. When you think about commercial kitchen space, so you have some stuff that's like really, really expensive because of all the things they have in there. Do you right. have stuff where you're like, you're literally just charging me rent and there's <laughs> nothing in there. Yeah. I mean, when I did my research, there was a, a commercial kitchen that I called they, they were charging like $3,000 a month. And I was like, well, what, yeah. what does it come with? That's oh, <laughs> right. And it was like, oh, it's a fume hood. Like, what? You just get an extractor and that's it? Yes. There's, so that's, and you that's have, why I was curious because just in my experience, it's, it's you know, bank for back wise. Like it can, yeah. yeah, it can be. It can be really bad. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, I also, I think also too, this because this concept is relatively new, there are expectations that people have. Some people expect us to, to have a cleaner, um, you know, when you have an event in the evening. And I'm like, no, like the cleaner <laughs> went home. You yeah. know, you got to clean, you have to clean up after yourself. Right. Um, we'll have a cleaner deep clean it, you know, but they're not going to be here at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and then if, they, if you want them to, you have to pay for that. Pay for that's it, that's yeah. a charge. Yeah. And so, you know, how we have our space set up is that, like I said, we have this wide kit, this big wide kitchen. So we offer two workstations. Mm -hmm. So we have one five burner stove, one six burner stove, gas, okay, yeah. with ovens. And they both have extractors or fume hoods, as we call them in the States. Mm -hmm. um, there are everybody like you know, those two workstations have two sinks. So each person has their own sink. Uh, so, and then there are big deep sinks as well. And then there's a prep table on each side for you to use to dry your stuff. And then on the across from that, there's two prep tables. So in total, there's six prep tables in the sink. I mean, in the space with two sinks, two, two burners. I mean, two, uh, five to six stove burners with ovens, two extractors. Then we also have a, a room next to it, which serves as a pantry. That's a chest freezer, as well as another refrigerator. So are people able to, so people are renting by prep table and by hour or by week or by like how, what's the. The rate looking like, sure. Not even the so, specific rate, but just how, like the model in terms of, are there options for short term, like a few hours versus like, okay, I, I have, I'm going to be on a subscription or a rental for a few months. Sure. So how we have it is first that you can either rent the entire space for a day or okay. rent half the space for a day. Okay. Um, I thought about doing hourly, but I was like, that's going to be crazy <laughs> yeah. because there's going to be too many people calling. So we, we try to have people do a day because if you think about it, if you're coming into prep and you're doing all this, you're going to be in there for a day anyway. Yeah. You know, and you got to think, you got to think about take, you know, setting take up. Down. Take yeah, down. exactly. Mm -hmm. So all that, you know, just include it. And then on top of that, um, you know, so we have the day rate. We have, we do have subscriptions. And instead of thinking of it from three months, six months, whatever, we're looking at it from hours. Okay. So you only need it 10 hours a month. There's a price for that. Oh, 10, yeah. 20, 50, and 80. And then that way, what ends up happening is that it allows people to not have to worry about being committed to being on one schedule. They just okay. need to see when the, when the space is available. And it makes life easier for us as well, um, because then that way we can look at the calendar and say, okay, one half of the kitchen space is out. This is the other half that is. Right. So somebody's using it for, and we're only open Monday through Friday. We do appointment only on Saturdays or we have activities on Saturdays. Um, essentially, I think we'll be probably doing a 24-7 situation. But I also like to make sure my staff, including myself, right. that we have our own personal time. <laughs> so, yeah. So my thing is, it's like, hey, if no one's coming in today, you know, you work from home and yeah. you, you know, and you do what you need to do. And, you know, I have one staff member. She's here before me, which is fine. And then she leaves before me because I'm going to be here until six right. or seven o'clock in the evening. Um, or I should say seven or eight. And the space is so 
you know, I, I mean, I, I'm also a yoga teacher, so I, oh, use, okay. yeah, so I also use kind of that same energy and intention for the space that I created. And yeah, like, so everything in here is made from, you know, it's made locally. And for me, I also wanted to print, present, you know, so I wanted to make sure I was being truthful and being a Pan-African, you know, right. so we have stuff that's from all across the continent here, but a lot of our you know, our furniture and everything is made locally. Um, and it's beautiful furniture when people come in here, grew up here, or maybe their parents grew up here or they remember this when they were kids. They're like, wow, all this is made in God. I'm like, yeah, yeah it definitely is. And it's, <laughs> and it's a calming, you know, space. And so, you know, if you are a food business, you're like, okay, I can use the kitchen. But we also have a tasting room where it also serves as a break room and all, kind of an all-purpose room. And in yeah. that space... You can use it for small dinners. So we had one last night for a chef. He used it for four people and we did the decor oh, nice. and everything. Um, you can also use that room to do a photo shoot for your food. You could also use it to do focus groups. And okay. next to it, yeah, next to it is a shared space. I mean, a shared bathroom. That bathroom is for specifically for the food businesses to take showers to store their clothes, to do whatever they need to do, to put their streetwear in that space so there's no cross-contamination. Right. And then on the other side of that is currently our storage space for people who have ingredients that they just want to store until they need them the next day. Oh, wow. and, then, and then, of course, because, you know, that we have a large dining area, it's really a large living room, we turn that into a co-working space during the day. But at night, this turns into somebody's having a pop-up. They can use it. We sit 30 people. Um, we can also sit a few people outside in our, our outside co-working space. And then we have this Instagrammable wall, which is a green wall with our logo that lights up at night with a bench in front that you can take pictures of it. And so really, you know, then we have a private office that people can use to take pictures, you know, to take calls. So when it came down to putting this together, I was really intentional as far as, okay, if I'm a food business, this is probably what I would desire. Okay, if I'm not a food business, I just like to eat. Can I also do this as well? Yeah. And so wearing hat, the hat of both. And so even if you're a restaurant that's operating from here, you have clients. Yeah, you may be sending it out to Bald or Uber, or Glovo, but you can also serve the clients who are here working during mm -hmm. the day. Yeah. That's another opportunity. And then we have specific, you know, workshops because, of, you know, you've been, you know how you've been to a crowd. There's tech, <clears throat> tech or business incubators everywhere. Yeah. But no one really focuses on like the actual specifics of a food business. Mm -hmm. So we fill that gap. We had a workshop talking about finances, which, you know, a lot of people don't talk about. Right. Um, we will be having another one talking about good manufacturing practices, food safety, recipe costing and formulation. We've had a workshop on food photography in the past. Um, you know, so stuff that people really, that they don't even think, think that it's important right. until somebody yeah. says to them, like, you know, even food bloggers, how do you pro appropriately take a, a, a picture so that it actually shows what you're going to do. And then for me, the biggest thing is representation. Representation to me matters, you know, because as you were saying, all these, everybody's coming to Accra and coming to Ghana. You know, what I also notice in the food space is this proximity to whiteness. And, you know, right, exactly. That's a whole <laughs> other conversation. And it's interesting because being a woman in this space, being a black woman in this space, and then, okay, I'm not a chef. But you would be surprised how many chefs had said they don't really believe what they, that they know what I'm talking about. I'm like, well, who is the person that actually makes the food? It's the food science scientist. I can break down the chemicals in peanuts or in grapes or in whatever, because that's what I was trained to do. We work together. It's not me against you. Right. Yeah. You know, we work together, but it's a very, you know, food spaces in any culture is very interesting. But definitely when you add in your mix of, you know, the effects of colonialism or and then you have patriarchy and misogyny, you know, misogynoir and all these things. It is a very interesting time. <laughs> it's yeah, a very interesting sure. a part. Yeah. I I and I do 
I think it's getting better in Accra a little bit, just in just from the perspective of um there be oh well I don't know I actually I'm gonna take this back because <laughs> I'm thinking about <laughs> all of the food places that were opening up um in anticipation of the year of return um that first year and then subsequent years um and I'm still um I still don't know that there is a place where you can go where people are doing really creative um interesting things with our local food um a lot of the places you know hot spots places that are opening up are you know italian or whatever you know continental what have you yeah and Uh, i also and also this introduction of you know of food now because somebody who doesn't look like you has made it cool right and so you know or this whole you know oh i've i've come to you know, save the save Ghana and Ghanaians <laughs> from you know from their their love of KFC. Like, come on, now. really? <laughs> you know, and oh, these you know ingredients are underutilized, and it's like underutilized to who? Yeah. You know, like it may not be used the way that you think it is because there are a lot of ingredients that people use very differently. But, you know, that's a, a narrative that I've, I've been seeing in Ghana and especially specifically Accra. And I correct some of those folks. I'm like, do you even know what that means? You're actually saying two negative things. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, it doesn't make any sense because it makes you sound, you know, stupid. And they're like, oh, what? what? And I'm like, you can't say something is underutilized and neglected. Those, that's right. not the, the way. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Like, in the... You know, and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, and really think about what does that mean? Right. You know, and it's the same, you know, I mean, I don't have this conversation necessarily with my team, but I say to them, if you're representing Crescendo, therefore you're representing me, but you're representing, you know, a food, a food space that is, you know, kind of trying to, my, my, my goal is to, you know, make sure this food space in Ghana and across just the, you know, the Pan-African ecosystem is up to, you know, it's being recognized just as much as our art scene and our music scene is. They're the same. It's all part of the culture, you know, and it could be, it doesn't even have to be led by me, you can be led by anybody, you know, but, you know, the thing is, that's what you represent. And, you know, my team, everybody on my team is actually Ghanaian. Oh, nice. And, you know, and they happen to be women. I got like two guys who are like contractors. But, you know, they recognize that as a team, what can we do to make sure that we're helping the community and uplifting them on a way where they feel comfortable coming as they are, not having to change themselves to be to for this proximity to whiteness? Yeah. No, I agree. So, and I yeah. have- I love everything that you're doing. It's um it's so interesting because the more I talk to people um on this podcast um and connect with people, it's just yeah, I yeah, I love it. I love the education piece, I love the community piece, which we haven't touched on completely yet. Um, but I also love the the thoughtfulness about you know how you created that space, right? All of the little things that you talked about, which are not little, but it's, I think there's just, um, I don't know, thoughtfulness is what comes, keeps coming back to me. At. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all connected, right? There's just, you really thought through um, all of the little elements that come together to make it um, uh, an inviting, welcoming, but also useful and functional space for yeah. um, people in the food space. So I wanted to touch a little bit on that, um, the community piece, because that's, mm-hmm. as you were talking with, that's what I was thinking about in terms of the conversations I've had over the over the years. It's just all, everybody that's trying to do meaningful, um, impactful stuff in this space, it all comes back to um, the community, right? And connecting the dots, not, not just in the food space, but then also connecting the dots, like you said, to the art, to the music. How, how does that all sort of come together, especially um, in Ghana and Accra, if you will, as we think about yeah. attracting more people to to um, the country and, and what that means from an, uh, an economic uh, perspective for the country, but then also for, for 
for folks, you know, employment and sort of the ripple effect of all of that. So um, curious how you think about community and integrating that into the space and the, the, the work that you do. Right. I think about community internally and externally. So internally is that within my own team, we have to be a community. Mm-hmm. Um, I can honestly say that I have a team. I'm very grateful because it takes, you know, how it is to build a team <laughs> <laughs> just anywhere, but who, you yeah. know, build a team that is quite, I, you know, honest as they can be, but also being fun. And I say in a way where I'm like, my team knows is like, Hey, we're cool. We have fun, but please don't forget. I, I will fire you. And it is, you know, <laughs> like you can catch the smoke and yeah. they, they, they've seen me give smoke to people and they are like, whoo, they're, they're thankful. And every time that they're not on the receiving end. <laughs> and I'm, and I think also too, because I've been in other places within Ghana working wise, and I've seen how people treat their staff and they're like, Oh, you got to treat them like this. I'm like, so now you're putting on the role of the oppressor. This is weird. Um, you know, and it's unfortunate that some people need to be talked to like that. And you're like, come on, man, that's nothing but trauma. And, you know, so, I mean, internally, I support my team, right? I, I have uh, an intern who's <laughs> also interning at the bank, but I allow, I give her the special, say allow, but I, I want her to have the space to explore so that she knows that she can weigh options. Right. And she still does her work. And I and I said to her, we had a dinner last night and you were missed. Not to say you should have been at work, but I was right. like, you were actually missed. Like, we actually have fun. And she's like, what? Did you have good food? Are you full? I'm so jealous because you're full. I was like, hey, you missed out. That chocolate fudge was bomb, sis. And she's like, ah. <laughs> but we have that relationship. Yeah. And and she, I mean, and so much that her mom called me when she was sick a couple of weeks ago. And so now my team, they never call me boss. You know, they call me Dr. Juanita. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, you know, or they will call me Juanita. I don't have a problem with that. They know, they know to call me Dr. Juanita out, you know, in, in, right. in public. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, her, so she was calling me boss this week to be funny. <laughs> and so I said, okay, daughter. And she had to laugh because she knows she doesn't call me that. And I don't call her that. And so to me, you know, what happens on the inside internally is what you see on the outside. Yeah. Um, externally, my, you know, how we build community is that, you know, my culinary manager has a background in hospitality. So we know a lot of the same people. She also knows people that I don't know because she is Ghanaian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's really, you know, really into that space. She has, you know, a couple other things that she does, projects on the side. And so we really try to create a safe community externally. Anytime some knucklehead comes and says something to my team, or we've had an issue where somebody actually her was her um, made one of my my team members uncomfortable. My rule is I don't do, tolerate sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. He got to go, or she got to go. Right. And so that's the first level to me is safety. I have to make sure my team is safe. My I'm I'm safe included. You know, and then we work out from there. And externally, how we build the community is that we actually do reach across to the states because obviously me coming from the states, a lot of my friends are pastry chefs, chefs, whoever in the food space or food scientists. And so I've been connecting with them over the years, building that community. And what Crescendo offers as a part of their membership is that you have access to this network. Mm. Some people are in food, some people are not. You know, I have folks who are in strategic advising for businesses. But they love to eat food. You know, yeah. we also <laughs> I'm also in a sorority. I'm a Delta, you know, so I'm uh, a part of Delta okay. Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. <laughs> and uh, and I guess I'm an old Delta now because I'll be 19 this year. I was like, geez, it's been that long. <laughs> I'm officially an old head. And so, you know, even for that, like talking to I, I think for me, how I have to build the community is that. I have my 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 family, I have my 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 safe haven of friends. And then, you know, when you're starting a business, you have to, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. Right. So I've had to learn how to create a community in mm-hmm. Ghana, you know, because my friends of when I first came, yes, I had people who were Ghanaian and folks who were expats. All those people have left, you know, 
the folks I knew who were Ghanaians got jobs in other parts of the world. And I'm like, okay, had a friend who just moved to Japan, you know, so you, you're always kind of starting over and over. And you, and if you live in DC or Minneapolis or Raleigh, Durham, those are transient cities. Yeah. So you're always kind of reinventing it over and over, but that doesn't mean that because they're gone, that's it. That's part of the community. Right. So now my community is, has, has a further reach. Um, I've been also a part of organizations at some point where I've been able to create community with chefs. So we have a list of chefs that we work with, you know, that respect us, respect, you know, we respect them. They respect us. You know, they give us honest feedback. You know, if somebody calls me and says, I need a chef for X, Y, and Z, here's my list. Hmm. These are the people that we rock with. Um, And then also just you know, extensions of other people. We had Jadena in our space. So you're talking oh. about, yeah, we had Jadena last year. Um, it was a collaboration with a chef here. He came to us saying, you know, hey, we'd love to do a dinner for Jadena while he's here. And we had the connection. Nice. Um, we had, we knew somebody that, you know, we knew him, we knew somebody who brought him over because he was part of the board, part of their board of directors yeah. for that. And so we hosted him in the Birthright Africa Scholars because he came with Birthright Africa, was a, a the brainchild of a, a woman in Walla. And we had a good time. And it was funny because, Jordan, we had nothing in this space. Okay. There was no <laughs> renovation. We didn't have air conditioning. We got, we had fans. Yeah. And we made it, we made it work. And so yeah. now as a result of that, you know, we have, they see us as their community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're like, Hey, we want to come through and see the space, give us a tour, you know? And I, and sometimes I, I underestimate the community that we create yeah. within food. Cause when we launched in last, literally a month, <laughs> this like a month ago, we had 60 people come through their space. I didn't even know those 60 people, yeah. which was great. Because most of the time it's like, okay, 60 of your friends. Like, yeah, I know you're here. <laughs> but these are folks I didn't even know. I was like, are you here for the launch? And it was so funny because what also was great was that I had my team give tours. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know who was the CEO. They had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I'm the only person I also didn't have on a, a t-shirt, but I mean, I had on like a maxi dress, but nobody knew, which was great. That's how I kind of like to move. I like to move, uh, move in silence. And so <laughs> for, um, so that was to me, that's, and everybody who's come through our space, that is the community that we're building. Yeah. Um, and also the community in the neighborhood, because you have to have that neighborhood support mm-hmm. in case anything goes down. So when I think about, you know, community, Internally, it's my my team, uh, my board. Externally, it's the community of, of food businesses. That's very broad. It's the neighborhood. And it's also the people who are in, who are intersectional in what we're doing. Right. And, you know, we're still learning. And yes, I root for everybody Black every, <laughs> all day, every day, you know, but I also know that allies are also important, whether it's you know, whoever, you know, and my, yes, and, you know, we have, we definitely have those cross-cultural things as well. But for me, it's like, even for me being an African-American, you know, I'm teaching a, a course now called Food for the Soul. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm teaching you American okay. things. How, however, we are going through the recipe and thinking about flipping it if you only use stuff that was made in Ghana. How would you even make it so that your friends would like it? Right. That's how you marry two cultures. I love that. I love that. And I, I'm thinking about, you know, as you talked about the different um, definitions of community that you have, I just, I think there's a lot of, a lot of kudos to you because as someone who's been, like, I used to be a nomad. I lived and worked in so many places around the world. Um mm-hmm. And it's really hard. I mean, I think people underestimate how challenging it can be to create community. So to get to the point mm-hmm. where you're able to, you know, start a business, one, which in and of itself is a whole other thing right. um, that is rooted in community. I think that that should not be um, underemphasized at all. I think that that's fantastic. And um, you should, I'm, I'm sure you are proud, but you should be proud <laughs> Um, because it's no no small feat. No. 
Um, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. And I, and you know, and, it, and, and I also too, for me is community through other entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you being an entrepreneur, getting this podcast off, off the ground and it being sustainable, right? Because a lot of people can launch great ideas, but how do you sustain it? Right. Um, and I have another friend where we, we talk very often. Okay. She's in Portugal and, um, and she's, she launched an app called expat chats of connecting black and brown expats around the world. And we have, you know, chats talking about community and you have to be able to support each other. So she sees funding, she sends it to me. If I see funding, I send it to her. And, uh, and, you know, and just having, um, having that support, you know, you, you have to have that support. If, if not, you can't do it alone. There's there's no way. And and I think also too, as black women, we take on everything. So it's been really nice to delegate. I'm still learning how to delegate. That's always been feedback <laughs> I received, right? From being in corporate or whoever. And yeah. it's like, well, I never had the opportunity to delegate. That wasn't that was never our, our our job. So it's nice to be able to delegate and kind of just watch things work. I think also too, my team thinks I'm old. I'm not that much older than them, like literally a couple of years, but whatever. So I think they're like, oh, auntie, we'll do, oh, don't do that. I'm like, come on now. I'm like, I worked out this morning, like y'all be fine. So, you know, but uh, like also learning to lean on people in your community. It is not crush them to death, but, you know, lean on them in a healthy way and vice versa. Yeah, no, that's funny because now when I when I come back to Accra and people call me auntie or mommy, I'm like, please, I'm not that old. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, so before we transition to our rapid fire segment, which will will wrap up the conversation, can you share? I think you've alluded to it a little bit in terms of location in in real life, but where can people find you online with social, you know, website, social media accounts? Sure. Um, so again, we're located in West Lagon. We're about two minutes from Gimpa. Um, if you're familiar with the Kissimmee area, uh, Christian Village. So if you're taking the Gimpa Road going towards Hacho, there's a junction which you can either take you to Kissimmee, Hacho, or you go to uh, the Lagon campus. Um, it's the electronic gate side, but you would go over this junction, and it's the second. It's actually like the first first or second paved road on the left. So we're right near the university. Um, so that's number one. And then we are definitely on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, we are Crescendo, which is C-R-E-S-C-E-N-D-O underscore foods with an S. That is on Instagram. We're Crescendo Foods on uh, Facebook as well as Twitter. And of course, LinkedIn and um, our website is HTTPS with the colon back, was a backslash, backslash crescendo gh.com. We are not a www. We will not find us that way. <laughs> so we are crescendo gh.com. This crescendo gh is all one word. So it looks like crescendo, like the word dough, but there's no you. Um, and then if anything, you could definitely find me on Instagram. Um, I'm Nita Bita, which is N-I-D-A, B as in boy, E-D-A underscore PhD. And uh, you could find me there and, you know, always check out what we do on Crescendo because we'll be announcing, actually, we just announced our, our, our events for uh, Independence Day slash Women's History Month. So definitely up. doing something. Yeah. yeah. And I will include the links when the episode comes out so people can just easily click through um, and get to those specific pages. Um All right. Rapid fire segment. So just quick uh, questions off the top of your head, no need to think too too much about them. Um, and then we'll wrap up. So the first one is, would you rather have more money or more free time? Oh, wow. Um, I would like to have more money so I can have more free time. They gotta go together for me. <laughs> okay. Um, breakfast or dinner? Breakfast, absolutely. Phone call or text? Phone call. Um, appetizer or dessert? Dessert. And I need to change this up because he said you, uh, you're from Jersey. So Jersey or Accra? Oh, wow. Oh, my parents may listen to this. 
<laughs> um, a crop for sure. A crop. But Jersey has winter. I just, I, I mean, yeah. well, I, also lived in, I also lived in Minneapolis. Like Jer Jersey winter is nothing compared to Minnesota. It's six oh, months really? in Minnesota. It's very cold. It's the first year I moved, we had 30, it was negative numbers for 30 days. Actually, well, the first I we yeah, had the a first very warm winter this year across the oh, east. they just got snow last week, from what I know. But um, the first day I moved in, I moved to Minnesota, which was February first, two thousand thirteen. They had dropped off my 06 Corolla, and then it snowed right after. Oh, <laughs> then in the garage, so I was like, "Oh yeah, this is gonna be a short yeah." <laughs> Well, thank you so much for making the time to speak with me, Juanita. Um, and I know um, I want everyone to hear this, that I had to reschedule with Juanita several times to schedule stuff, and she was incredibly gracious, which I appreciate. Um, and I'm glad we're able to make the time to have this conversation. I think um, providing resources for the community, creating that ecosystem um, is just Amazing. And it's some of the things that keep me up at night in terms of thinking about uh, food space and the resources that food entrepreneurs need. So I'm happy that you're doing this. Happy that you're in Accra and you prefer it to Jersey. <laughs> um, but thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>